the Anesthesia Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to this brand new Anesthesia Journal podcast. And I'm delighted to have with me today Associate Editor of the Journal, uh, Gong Gaskill, Tanya Selleck, usually all the way from Wollongong near Sydney, uh, but now currently in Paris. Tanya, is that right? Yes, that's right. I am coming to you live from this really beautiful hotel in Montmartre just next to the Sacre Coeur. So I'm really struggling this morning. It's um, it's a tough time to be on holiday. Especially when you spent the day sightseeing as well, no doubt, yesterday. And uh, those well, days were quite tiring. <laughs> it's, it's actually true. Yesterday, we, um, uh, with my husband and kids, we had a wonderful day in Paris, but we really felt compelled to do the sights. And we, as per usual, sort of probably did too much, but uh, went to the Sacre Coeur first thing in the morning it's so beautiful up there and peaceful looking over Paris just lovely uh, then we went to uh, we had the Louvre which was just so chaotic and busy wonderful but amazing we went to see we call it the burnt church uh, Notre Dame the um, you can sit on oh, these wow, steps yeah. and look at the front facade of it and you can see the whole back of it, which is full of scaffolding, um, and they're renovating it desperately to try and have it open by the end of next year. Fun fact, uh, the King King Charles was there yesterday. No, in fact, King Charles is going there, I think, today to investigate the ruins and the um, re- reconstruction efforts. And then we went. We thought at the end of the day, let's just whip up the Eiffel Tower. So we went up there and sat and um, sat with the kids and just looked out over the city and came home quite late. It was just so beautiful, so pretty, such a wonderful place to be. Tanya, you were spending a bit of time in Europe because you were here for annual congress last month, and, and we'll come on to that a bit later because that that in itself is is quite an interesting, cool area at the moment. You know how to how to conference and. Uh, and make that a bit more sustainable and combine that with other activities. But first, just yes. want to explain the um, aim of these podcasts now. Times are changing, and in the past we used to have a um, a blog, and I'm sure you used to, used to read the blog, Tanya, and I'm, I think you've, you've posted in there a few times as well. We asked you to write something about what was happening in Australia during the pandemic. I think people used to blog quite a lot in the 2000s, and we had the one post about COVID that went absolutely viral and was read, tens of thousands of times but interest has dwindled over over the last year or so and you don't tend to find people pod, um, people blogging anymore as such and the great thing about podcasts is a podcast is uh, recorded and it just goes out and it goes to a podcast provider and we often talk about you know platform x versus threads versus instagram versus facebook whereas a podcast will just go on all of the uh, podcast providers. This will be a monthly feature. Um, we're not going to talk too much about the October issue this month, but next month we're going to talk about the November issue, and we'll do that on a monthly basis with different editors and associate editors. We'll include lots of people, and, and if anyone does want to, to be included on a podcast, please do get in touch with me, and I'd be glad to um, have you on to, to talk about one of our issues. But Tanya, what's what's going on with X at the moment and, and the various social media platforms? Because I think that world of social media just seems to be changing all the time at the moment. Yeah, so I, um, it's so fascinating. I have so many people say to me, uh, what are you going to do with Twitter? Everyone still calls it Twitter because X just doesn't <laughs> sound right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and tweets and Twitter. I think it's really difficult to predict what will happen. 
these um, platforms are owned by billionaires who have their own agendas and want to push and pull us in different ways. It's really, I think, impossible to predict where the platforms will all go. I think Twitter was always only the 10th most popular platform. There was always like Facebook and YouTube and Insta were, had far, far many more monthly users than Twitter. But we found it really useful in medicine to find a little tiny corner of it and discuss the things that matter to us. And we all really liked it because it was public. It went beyond borders, beyond craft groups, beyond hierarchies, beyond silos. And listening carefully to what other people were doing in medicine is really helpful in order to improve your own practice and have a broader view of the world. But trying to predict where Twitter is going to go is really, really difficult. So I know a lot of people have jumped onto other platforms like Mastodon and Blue Sky. I'm My approach is I'm just kind of sitting back and waiting and seeing where the dust falls. I'm not one to jump around and be on all the platforms. I'm still on Twitter. There are a few people still there. We still have interesting conversations. There was that time, wasn't there, um, last year sometime, and, and there was a, a worry that that when Elon Musk actually took over Twitter, um, that there'd be no Twitter anymore all of a sudden because a lot of staff were being sacked and um, there were lots of changes. And I think that's why people jumped to Mastodon to make sure that they had somewhere to be in case Twitter actually um didn't become a thing anymore and, and that's not happened has it and and if anything i've noticed something quite strange about twitter certainly from the the journal perspective is whereas in the past we for example we promoted a paper yesterday about mr opioids and um um we've discussed that previously in a in a, a broadcast and a podcast and we've got two of those papers in the october issue and they're, they're really fascinating papers and they have really hard-hitting clinical recommendations about MR opioids that basically we shouldn't be using them, patients have more complications when they use them, that they've probably been misadvertised and missold to doctors, um, they've promised great things in the past, but in actual fact they're failing to deliver those things and they're actually causing problems for patients. And, and those papers are fascinating and have really, really good clinical recommendations. And one of the tweets was retweeted or reposted, whatever it's called now, 40 times. But we know that people are looking at, at it because that had 20,000 impressions, that one tweet. And just to compare that with what used to happen in the past, do you remember, Tanya, when we used to do tweet chats many years ago, yes. 2018? Yeah. So from a tweet chat, we'd get 30,000 impressions and, and we'd call that you know a major success story in terms of dissemination. Whereas now a single tweet will get 20,000 impressions, but not attract as many um, retweets. Are people lurking and not engaging as much? I think people have always lurked. I think that in these times, maybe that's a reflection that uh, people are being pushed towards lurking rather than direct interaction. And I wonder why that is. I think sometimes... We live in a really polarised world and people can be frightened to like or retweet something because sometimes it can be a bit weaponized that if you raise a view on your account that you are endorsing that view and therefore you are the other side to me. And I think if we think about the broad range of like political topics, so like Trump was always a thing. Um, in the US, 
you talk about gun control, that's the thing, you're one side or the other. Um, I once tweeted a talk about opioids, the opioid epidemic, and the the speaker had some very frank language about we as doctors prescribing too many opioids. And I just kind of retweeted that pretty verbatim. And I got a lot of, um, I don't know, trolls, bots at me because um, they wanted people to continue prescribing opioids. So you can, and then recently COVID, whether you're a masker or a not masker, it's almost like a religion, or if you're a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer. in in Australia, we're having our own political issues at the moment. New Zealand's having a uh, an election in, in fact, next month, I think. So there's a lot of people are quite frightened, I think, to declare their hand. So I wonder if the fact that people are reading but not publicly making comment is reflective of that. Because I will often see people will pick up tweets and cross-post them into other social media platforms. For example, private Facebook groups. People will pick up a tweet, drop it into a private Facebook group, which might have 20,000 members, and they will discuss privately from there. So I wonder if Twitter is still providing the conversation opener that people are then not feeling comfortable to discuss, but they're moving it along to other platforms, whether that's their WhatsApp or their work group email or their uh, Facebook group. I wonder if that's what's happening. Well, that's fascinating. So, I mean, the way in which social media is used to not just disseminate, because it's not the dissemination that's changed as such, it's the contextualization and discussion and and people people using, as you say, that, that opener in a very different way. And uh, did you see um, Professor Kareem El-Bogdadli give his Featherstone uh, oration at Congress? It was uh, so wonderful. Yeah, it was it was so, I can tell you, there was so much love for that human in the room. It was spine-tinglingly beautiful. <laughs> and, the, and the theme was about collaboration and 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 how we as a society, not just in anesthesia, although it sometimes does feel... Um, that it's that way in anesthesia, but it's 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 very much a societal change. I think that there's so much more division than there ever was, and we need to stop and reflect about that, and to try and collaborate more, and to trying to listen to one another, and you know, getting that feeling of purpose back. I mean, I, I really recommend anyone who uh, wasn't at the meeting. I think the the talks will go online in a few months, and Kareem's talk for me was an absolute highlight of the meeting. How about you, Tanya? Um, What did you enjoy about Congress? Because meetings are back, aren't they? Well, the last time I went to an association meeting was 2019, 2020, just before the pandemic hit. Well, I guess the pandemic was around. We just didn't know about it. So I love to come to the UK and haven't been able to return since then. So arriving in Edinburgh to meet old friends and new was just so wonderful. I feel part of the family there and I was really pleased to be able to go around and have lots of selfies with people and hug people and meet Twitter friends that I've known for years but finally meet them in person. It was so wonderful. So from a connection point of view, there's nothing better. From a content point of view, I guess the place to start would be the opening keynote with Dame um, Professor Julia Slingo. She had that quite controversial talk about desflurane, which has 
really raised a lot of discussion amongst anaesthetists all around the world. And I know in Australia, even just as her talk had finished, I was getting correspondence from Australia about people wanting to really know the nuts and bolts of the talk. It was that's a very... Because that's exactly what you were talking about before. Mm. So someone's seen that tweeted by mm. you or by the association or someone else, and that has then been put into an email amongst work colleagues. Yes. And so it is it is interesting because I guess when you just see the tweets, you don't see the whole talk. So that can be problematic just to pick out little bits of it. But I mean, I don't know, Mike, what you took from her talk. And I want I want um, our environmental sustainability people to not be disheartened because much of what she has said has been what our environmental heroes have been doing since um, we've started the pandemic. But the thing that she said, her beef was with the banning of desflurane. I think that was really the only thing that she said was slightly not correct from her point of view, from a climate scientist point of view, in terms of the amount of damage that it does in the environment. So she wasn't saying use des desflurane or use sevaflurane or use Teva, but what she was saying was the outright banning of it, she felt was an overstretch, uh, which has, um, I guess, understandably made people feel a little bit, um, you know, disheartened. Yeah, I remember there was a, an audience member who um, everyone in the room laughed when he suggested that he had to do some personal reflection about wrestling away desflurane vaporizers from colleagues in the department. Um, but I think the, the thing that I took from that um, was uh, the science was fascinating and the way she explained how it wasn't necessarily global warming potential that was the most important factor at play, but that was perhaps the most easily understood. But the the more complex things got, the more relevant they became. And then, you know, to talk about radiative forcing, which was to do with the concentration in the atmosphere and lifetime. And all these things, I've, you know, I've published in this area before, and I've, it made me feel as though I'd looked at it very much from a, a non-expert, um, you know, job in an anaesthetist perspective, when really... Um, we probably should have involved the climate scientists in much more of this. And and I think as well that the climate scientists, even between themselves, uh, disagree. So what's, what's fascinating is we're going to hear from these various different perspectives in the journal. Um, in early 2024, we have a supplement that's due to be published. The great thing about the supplement is it, it extends in scope far beyond desflurane. It's various other different topics. And I think... One of the conclusions that uh, Dame Slingo had was that that we're all to be commended for for trying to make the right choices. And you know, I think the focus on desflurane has made us focus on other things as well, such as you know the use of consumables, the amount that we're able to reduce and recycle, and um, make little changes here and there in order to reduce the carbon footprint, essentially of of healthcare, of which we contribute an awful lot. So that was great. Um, yeah, yes, I, I thought got an innovation at the end, which was amazing. She, yeah. yeah, I also thought her talk was amazing that she managed when she was, um, she got the government to pay for a hundred million pound yeah. supercomputer to sort out all these lines of code. Um, and I thought, we as doctors, imagine if we had negotiating skills to get a hundred million pounds for 
you know, <laughs> for all the things that we need. I thought we could learn from her in terms of advocating for your area as well. Yeah, absolutely. And she was a really impressive person um and it was great to to have her speak to us i don't know tanya if you've been to many meetings during the pandemic but interest sort of seemed to have waned a little bit and then there was this suggestion that conferences have become virtual because people can stay at home and they can be flexible around their own lives and attend the lectures and get the cpd etc but that's not happening is it people people there's a desire to go go to these meetings again there wasn't a option to stream this meeting at home. So in order to, you know, see the, for example, the assisted dime panel or to find out about NAP7 or to hear Dame Slingo speak or to hear uh, Kareem's very motivational speech, which was, which was incredible. Um, you have to go. And I think it was fairly similar with, with the Angstgar ASM that we were at earlier this year, although that was, some of that was streamed. Um, but there, there seems to be a real desire for people to get together again. Yes. One of my colleagues, um, Vanessa Beavis, who is very wise, she says, you can't have the heart to heart without the face to face. And I think that's very true. It was great to hear about what's going on in the perioperative world. There's lots that's going to be coming out in the journal soon. In the November issue, we have lots of other great papers. And I'm delighted to tell you now that we have uh, Professor Ed Mariano, who's going to be going through that issue with me and we'll release that podcast as the issue is released as well and we'll do that on a monthly basis over the next year and hopefully through listening to this podcast you can sort of understand some of the issues behind the papers I'm going to I'm going to really test it and I'm going to I'm going to get him to use all his editorial skills to sort of delve into some of the methods of the papers um, and I really hope that that's a way that we as editors can contribute um, to CPD so that listeners can have a bit of an insight into what we do as well. And yeah, Well, I think Ed Mariano, as your first guest, is a pretty big superstar. <laughs> you know that I had tweeted with him for years and finally, finally, finally got to meet him in the person, in flesh. And, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't meet your heroes because it, you, you might be disappointed. But I can tell you, Ed Mariano, what is with him? He is such a... Like he has a big brain, a big heart, and is just a super person. So I can't wait to hear the two of you on next month's podcast. That will be fascinating. And I, I'll listen to it in the car while I'm driving my kids around to various things. So I can't wait. There, there is a rumor actually amongst some of the attendees at Congress that Ed Mariano had the highest uh, Uber rating of anyone at the uh, meeting. And that just <laughs> shows what a nice guy he is. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. He's a decent person, even when the world is watching. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Tanya. I please do send us your tweets, send us your comments, um, and um, do get in touch with us. Anything that we've discussed today, we're more than happy to talk further about over on Twitter. And we'll see you, uh, everyone, next month. Thanks, Mike. See you later. Bye. The Anesthesia Podcast. <laughs>